All right, so we are continuing our journey through Romans. We are in week eight of our sermon series through that book. And if you're new here, I just want to just orient you a little bit, which is um, Romans is one of these books that really the whole Bible is this way, but Romans is especially this way where everything is linked to what came before. There's a few places where you kind of get a break and kind of a new topic, but it's, even that's not really a new topic. It all builds. And so if you're coming in the middle, um, let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, Paul has been emphasizing grace, uh, that we are saved by grace through faith. And that word saved is such a common word that we throw around that we often think the word saved just means like becoming a Christian. But the way Paul uses that word is it's a junk drawer term for the whole thing. I've been saying it's the whole enchilada. It's everything that comes from Christ in his death and his resurrection. Okay, and we're going to see that even more clearly this morning. So when we talk about salvation and use that term, we're, we're, it's, it's everything from being free from the, the, the penalty for your sin. It's also your new life in Christ. It's also all the gifts of the Spirit that we'll get to in Romans chapter 12. It's also your future resurrection. You know, when you die, you go in a hole in the ground or into smoke in the air, depending on how you do that in your, your way, what your choices are. But the day will come when Jesus returns. We sang it this morning. The dead come from their tombs. That's your, part of your salvation. And your eternal future with Jesus in heaven is also part of your salvation, okay? All of that is also not in you, none of it. It never will be. It's all in Christ. There will never be a moment, even 10 trillion years from now, when you're walking on the golden streets, it will not be in you. It will be in Christ, okay? And so that's kind of where we've been. We've been talking through those things. Um, but there's a thing that happens, I think, that, um, it's, it's, and it's the issue of faith. Uh, Heather touched on it this morning, talking about you're, sometimes you sing things that you don't quite feel. You feel like maybe God's let you down, but you're singing a song that says, you'll never let me down, and you kind of feel this, am I being authentic? Am I being honest? Um, what, what do you do with that? There's, Christianity is fundamentally a, a faith. It's a thing you do by faith. Okay, so there, there are things when your experience kind of denies the truth and you have to proclaim the truth over it without being in denial. We all know people who, who walk around like, everything's fine. You say, how you doing? And you're like, they're sick or they're having a hard day. And they go, it's fine. Bless the Lord. And you go, but your car just broke down. You're on the side of the road. You have no money. Your children are sick in the back seat. And you just got pulled over by a police officer. Everything's not fine. You're in denial, right? But at the same time, that does not mean we, that we deny the truth of what God says, which God is good and never lets us down, right? So we're going to encounter a similar thing this morning, which Paul is going to address directly. There's a, there's a question that gets asked, or an objection probably is more like it. And the objection would be, well, if, if I'm free from the penalty of sin, and my righteousness is in Christ, and it's done, and it's finished, and it's complete, and it's been declared officially by God the Father forever and all of time. What's to stop us from just 
sinning like crazy. Just doing whatever we please. Isn't this just like greasy grace? That's what they call it. Hyper grace. Come on, Paul. People are going to just go nuts. You got to have some, 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 a little dose of legalism or something. You got to have some rules and some threats in order to keep people in line. And if you take all the threat away, then people are just going to go crazy. That's the objection, okay? And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, uh, British preacher, he, he's famous for saying that if you're not preaching grace hard enough to beg this question, then you're not preaching grace hard enough. If you're not preaching grace so emphasizing it so heavily that somebody in the room goes, hold on a second. Like then, then these people, my name, this, it's always the guy sitting next to you. It's every you that's going to go crazy. People are going to start doing crazy stuff because you're just cutting them loose. If nobody's asking that question, then you haven't hit grace hard enough. So I'm hoping this is not, at least this has bothered you up to this point. Maybe I need to preach it harder. We'll see. So Paul's going to address this question directly, okay? And he's going to do it, um, I think, a brilliant way. Okay, so let's read, start here with, uh, we read this last week, chapter 5, verses 20 to 21. That's kind of a summary of where we've been. It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we talked about how the law reveals sin, but it could not justify. And I gave the example of speeding down the road. What the law says, it reveals that you, you broke the law, you sped, you went too fast. But the law is never going to make you not be a person who wants to speed. Right? Paul pushes that thought a little further, saying that the law actually increased sin, which is an interesting idea. The more rules you have, the more, the more laws you have, the more lawbreakers you have. Because you have more laws. Clear boundaries makes for clear transgressions. We always say have clear boundaries with your kids. So that they have clear transgressions for which you can discipline them. Right? If you are unclear, then it will be un- your discipline will be unclear. The more laws you have, the more crimes you have names for. And that's what the law does. That's what Paul means by that. But the good news is that there's always more grace than there is sin. This is Paul's first point, all right? And this is a radical point. However much sin increases in the world, grace always stays ahead of it, no matter what. So we look at the world and we go, man, it's getting bad out there. It's getting crazy. Let's just make the church a bunker, right? And we'll just hide in here, and I'll go from the church building to my house and back and I'll just wait for this all to blow over because it's getting really bad, and we all get scared and we wring our hands. But Paul says, no, 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 no. No matter how much sin there is in the world and in you, grace will always stay ahead of it. There will always be more grace. It doesn't mean God doesn't care about sin. It just means that God's not worried about sin. He has dealt with the sin problem on the cross, and he's just applying it to you, okay? You feel... Like that feels a little dangerous. That feels like a little too free, right? 
If we are saved by grace through faith, not of any good works of our own, then what's to stop anyone from sinning all the time? Okay, so Paul's going to answer this objection in these not in the next 23 verses in chapter 6. He's going to use two metaphors, so I want to help you kind of understand the framework here so you don't get confused, okay? He's essentially going to say the same idea twice using two different analogies. And what I want you to look for as we read this is in the first 14 verses, pay attention to the verb tenses. You know what I mean by verb tenses? When did this happen? Past, and it's finished, present, or future. Okay? And you know that by what verbs he uses. When are these happening in time? Did they happen in the past and are finished? Are they happening now, or are we waiting for them to happen in the future? And this will say a lot to you about the gospel. Okay, so Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's kind of voicing the question. He says, by no means. That's the short answer. (laughs) How can we who die to sin still live in it? That's his thesis statement. That's going to be his point for the next chapter. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, past tense, buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the word baptized in verses 3 and 4 that he repeats twice, means plunged. It's a wonderful word. Not just gently dipped. Not just sprayed by a mist. Not just anointed. Plunged. It's as if uh, the, the bully at the pool grabs you by your trunks and shoves you under the water and shakes you around. Plunged way down in there, and you're like, right? Plunged down into Christ. It's certainly, it's, it's a wink at the ritual of baptism, okay? But Paul's not making a point so much about baptism and what it means. He's giving you a visual picture of what happened when you became a Christian. As you were plunged into Christ, You were immersed inside of Christ by the willful action of someone else in a way that is fully surrounded and hidden, buried, completely covered, and immersed in Christ. So the Christian has been fully plunged into Christ, so fully that when Christ died, Jesus died, you died. It's past tense. Jesus dying on the cross is a historical event that happened at a period in time it started and then it was over he was put on the cross and then he died he was taken off of it it happened and it's done and it happened in your past at that moment you were so immersed in jesus that when he died you died i know that's mysterious you weren't alive yet but when you became a christian a supernatural thing happened it's as if you were picked up and moved through time, back to that moment, and you were stuck on the cross with Jesus, and then you were stuck into the grave with Jesus, and it happened. That's how God sees you. 
verses 5 through 11, he's basically going to say, okay, so lo- allow me to explain. That's what the four means in the beginning of verse 5. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Well, that's great news. I'm not just in Christ in his death. That's great news. But even more, if that's true, then we're also united with him in his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's a big question. What is, who is the old self from verse 6? Now there's a, one theory of explaining that, which is like called the two natures theory, which is this idea that there's, you've got two people inside of you, two natures. You've got the old self and you've got your new self. You got your yourself in your BC days, your before Christ days, and you got your new self, who's who's fun loving, free willing, loving Jesus, right? And every day when you wake up, it's a battle between the new self and the old self. People always quote that Native American guy. I don't remember who said it. You know, there's a it's like a dog that's trying to kill you, and you know, and if you just stop feeding the dog, the dog will die. And we transplant that idea into the gospel, which is if you just deny the old self and don't feed it, then the new self wins. And hopefully, cross your fingers, knock on wood, by the time you die, your new self will be stronger than your old self. And every day you're just trying, and you can translate, you can transplant all different kinds of words for that. You can say you got the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other, or you've got I'm trying to be a good person, and I don't want to be a bad person. You've got all different ways of expressing that idea, but that's, that's one way of explaining who the old self is. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think Paul is saying, if you remember when he talked about last week, Adam and Christ, being in Adam or in Christ. The old self is Adam, and the new self is Christ. Stop squeezing yourself into the middle of, of the text. The old, and the question is, who are you in? Who are you aligned with? Are you in Adam, the old self? Because Adam's dead. If you're a Christian, that old self is dead. The old you, the sitting you, is dead in the grave. It cannot breathe. It cannot come out of the grave and be reanimated. You are a new creation, all right? There is not a war going inside of you of two equal powers, two equal selves fighting it out. And some days the bad person wins and some days the good person wins. That is not what's happening inside of you if you're a Christian. He's going to make this super clear as we go. If you're like, I don't know, that's not my experience. That's why I started off saying what I said, right? 
He says clearly in verse 11, so you, must, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Where? In Christ Jesus. Where are you dead to sin and alive to God? In Christ Jesus. In Adam, you are a slave. We'll get to that in a minute. In Christ, you are not. So, lest you be concerned that Paul is being too loose on sin and being even harder on these sinners, here's what he says next. As a result of this, verses 12 to 14, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members or your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So he says, because you are dead to sin, don't let sin rule over you. So it's not so that you can be in Christ, don't sin. It's that because you are in Christ, don't let sin rule over you because it has no power over you. He personifies sin This is important, especially in the next section. He personifies sin as a person and presents a choice. Present your body to sin or to God as an instrument of either unrighteousness or righteousness. Paul continues with his personification in the next section, but this reminds me of a Bob Dylan quote. You're going to serve somebody. I wrote down the word because I couldn't remember. Where is it? You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, I think he's half right. I'm going to get to that in a second. But let's look at, with that in mind, with Dylan in mind, let's read 15 through 19. It says, what then? Are we to sin? Because he's going back to that original question. Okay. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Wait a minute, I already read this, didn't I? No? Okay, yeah, he's just repeating himself. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So again, this is typical Romans. He sets up two categories, and he describes what it's like in one versus the other. Okay? A slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Presenting your body to this personification of sin like it's a slave master or presenting yourself to righteousness as another slave master, right? You're going to serve somebody. By the way, this is not a commentary on slavery. I feel like the word slave comes up. We've got to say that. He's not talking, of, he's not make, just like he's not really make, doing a teaching on baptism, He's not talking about, he's using slavery as a metaphor, okay? Verse 20 to 23, 
puts the nail in the coffin, as far as I'm concerned. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's describing who you were before you came to Christ. You were a slave to sin. You might not have thought you were. You might have thought, I'm free. I'm the freest I've ever been. I can do whatever I want, whatever I please, and it's what the world offers. It's what, it's what it tells us, right? It says, go do what makes you happy. That's real freedom. But the truth is, Paul says, we've seen this since chapter 1, he says, you're not free. You're a slave to those desires, those sinful desires, and what it produced in you, if you're honest, in hindsight, is it produced death all over the place. It was destructive. It did not satisfy you. It did not make you happy. It actually made your hunger even deeper and worse. And the more successful you are, or the more you explore those passions, the more hopeless you feel, and the more empty you feel. It produced death. But following Christ produces life. Paul is saying that when you're in Adam, you felt free from any constraint to be righteous. You're like, I don't have to be righteous. I don't like your rules, man. I'm just doing what I want. And he says, now that you're in Christ, you're free not to sin. In the same way that you were free to care about righteousness before, you're now free to worry about from worrying about sin. Does that not challenge you a little bit? It does me. So when Dylan says you've got to serve somebody, he's right to a point, but he's presenting that same two natures fallacy, which is every morning when you wake up, you have an equal choice. Are you going to listen to the devil on your shoulder or listen to the angel on your shoulder? And every day you're making this decision. And Paul says, no, 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 no. They're not equal choices. You're actually free to ignore the devil on your shoulder completely. I think this means that sin fundamentally is a lie. If we take Romans 6 as God's word, which we do, <laughs> then we need to define sin primarily as a lie against your identity in Christ. Sin has no dominion over you, period. The end of sentence. It has no dominion over you. It is dead and in the grave. It cannot come back to life. So what sin, the temptation of sin is an invitation to believe a lie against that truth. It's a lie that says, no, 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 I still have dominion over you. Listen to me, not the gospel. Serve me, not Christ. That's what sin does. That's what temptation is. So if sin no longer has power over you, then all it can do is lie to you. When the Christian sins, it is not because they have been overcome by temptation, it is because they have been deceived into believing, if only for a moment, that they are serving a different master. Does the slave have a choice about who he obeys? He doesn't. He's a slave. He must obey his master. The question is, which one are you serving? Are you a slave to Adam or are you a slave to Christ? When you sin, 
you are actually pretending to be something and someone that you are not. Christians should not refer to themselves as sinners. You may sin, and you do just like I do. But that is not who you are. It's important, I think, if you're a parent, the way you talk to your kids when they sin. What do you say? You're such a screw-up. How could you do that? Can't believe you would do that. Or do you say you're better than that? That is not you. I know you, and you're better than this. This is not who you are. You're acting like someone you're not when you act that way. That's a different, that's the gospel in your discipline. The same way, the way you talk to yourself. How do you talk to yourself when you sin? Do you say the same thing? Do you go, ah, there you go again. You're such a blank. You're such a failure. You're such a sinner. You're such a whatever. You're a dirty, rotten person. And this is just who you are. That is the voice of Satan lying to you to deceive you, not into just sinning more. He's deceiving you about who you are and what Christ has done for you. He's saying, you're still in Adam. Adam's not dead. Your old self isn't dead. He's alive and well. That's the lie. A Christian that is living in a sinful lifestyle pattern is something like a spiritual zombie trying to reanimate the dead body of Adam. That's the picture I have in my head. This disjointed, like, thing. The living dead. Reanimating a dead thing, and all it does is make everything messy and stink like death in your life. It's dead, so let it lie. It never works, right? Because you're in Christ and not in Adam. It only makes a mess. It only stinks up the place, but it fails every time because it's not who God made you to be. You have been recreated in Christ. So I want us to take a minute to try to memorize verse 14. Can we do this? I think this is important. I'll remind you what this verse is, and then I'll read it to you, and then let's do this for just a minute. Let's just repeat it out loud. I want you to hear yourself saying this over yourself. Here's the verse. I'll read it, and then let's just memorize it, all right? For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Simple sentence. That is the truth about you. That is what God says about you. And when you sin, which you do, you're doing something out of character. That's the point. So let's say this a couple of times. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now let's say it about yourself. Change the pronouns to me. For sin will have no dominion over me since I am not under law but under grace. Say it again. For sin will have no dominion over me since I am not under law but under grace. One more time. For sin will have no dominion over me, since I am not under law, but under grace. This is how you respond to temptation to sin. It is not to say, I can't believe I'm such a greasy, nasty person 
that such a thought or such a temptation would come out of me. Because that is not who you are. Because you're in Christ. This is why Paul can't believe that anyone would say, he's indignant that anyone would say, well, then these Christians are just going to all start sinning. He's like, what are you talking about? Because that's not what Christians do. That's like saying that Jesus would go do a bunch of sinning because he's free. And we would never say that. That would be blasphemous. So if Jesus would not do it, then neither would you. That's not who you are. So I'd like for us to pray. It's the Holy Spirit that holds you plunged into Christ. The Holy Spirit does not just exist to give you goosebumps or to spice up our worship services. He is, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that, that with a big grin on his face, grabs you by the trunks and plunges you into Christ and holds you there. It is by the strength of his arm that holds you in Christ every moment of every day for all of eternity into the future that is what the Holy Spirit is doing right now as we speak. Every, if you're a believer, every breath you take in, the Holy Spirit is holding you by his power in Christ. And so he is the one we go to when we go, man, I've, I have acted and lived in defiance of this for too long. And so I'll, Holy Spirit, will you apply this to my heart so that I actually begin to see, I think Christian maturity is less about how much you sin, and it's more about how much do you actually really see how righteous you really are in Christ. That you are whole in him. You are healthy in him. You are not a sinner. You're in Christ, not in Adam. And the more your eyes get open to that, miracle of miracles, the less you sin. Because you've got to stop believing that in order to sin. You've got to turn that switch off and go, no, 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 it can't be true. It can't be that great. It can't be that glorious. I can't be that righteous. I must be a little bit in Adam. I must be, he, he's still, the heart's still beating of the old man somewhere. And that's a lie. And so I, I want to go to the Holy Spirit and ask him, would you come and reinforce this and speak this to my heart help me to actually see what you say about me is true by faith despite my regular sinfulness <laughs> help me to see that this is not who i am who i am is righteousness and i think the more revelation you have of that the more power you have over your life to not sin amen so why don't we stand up and pray for that then we're going to worship together Way bigger. Way bigger. Absolutely bigger. That's right. It's even bigger how much bigger you think it's bigger. It's bigger than that. That's right. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to lift our heads. Lift our, where, where we're not just looking at our failures all the time. 
God, I can just hear people in this room talking to themselves, saying all manner of terrible things to themselves. Things that if one of us said it to them, it would be just unspeakably awful. Things none of us would ever say to each other, we say to ourselves. We agree with the devil too often when he lies to us and says, you're not in Christ, you're in Adam. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you to bring strength to this weakness in us. Open our eyes to see how magnificent it is to be in Christ. Open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see how righteous we actually are in Christ. God, that you would shake loose from us this belief, this deception that we are the sum total of our failures and not the sum total of Christ's success. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and fill each one of us with the truth. God, let our repentance be complete. We wouldn't just repent of our sins, but we would repent of acting out of character of who you've made us to be. God, would you repair the damage of years of feeling shame over sin. God, help us to see that we are kings and queens, princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. We are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. You have put crowns on our head. We're seated right there with Jesus in the place of Jesus, right there where he sits. So by the name of Jesus, we rebuke the devil and his lies against us. God, we believe you at your word that sin has no dominion over us because we are in Christ. The old man is dead. So God, I pray for those who are discouraged this morning that you would encourage them with the truth. God, I pray for those who are bound up in sin that seems to have a hold on them. God, that where the deception runs deep and it has a grip on them. God, I pray that you would, by your spirit right now, help them to see the truth, that it is a lie, that it is a weak, weak, impotent thing that is holding them captive. And they are not slaves to it. They are slaves to righteousness. And God, that there would come freedom this morning from that kind of sin that seems to hold power that it actually doesn't have. God, I ask for an increase in faith in all of us. So Lord, I help, help us to worship you right now with joy that you actually have set us free. In the name of Jesus, amen.